The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. We're actually going to start with a commercial today. Um, and it's a uh, commercial for a, a drug, a medication. And I want you to see if you can pick up the side effects of this medication, okay? It's kind of subtle, but see if you can kind of pick it up, all right? So they're going to they're gonna roll this commercial. Wow. We did not edit that in any way, shape, or form. And Lunesta can help you go a lot of places, evidently. So I don't care if they are giving it away for free. There is no way I'm taking that medication. I remember looking at my wife. We saw this, and uh, we thought it was a Saturday Night Live commercial at first um, because of all of the uh, disclaimers. And, you know, it really doesn't matter how pretty the green butterfly is. You know, when you see, all, I, I love how it says, may cause hallucinations, and there's a green butterfly flying around in the commercial. But they say there's side effects, such as you could go driving and, and not remember it. Um, potential suicide. And then I love this one, that your, your tongue or your throat could swell to the point of being fatal. I'm just sitting there thinking, who would take this medication? Who would take this? And the answer is, it occurred to me, someone that is desperately suffering. Someone that is suffering tremendous pain. Someone who the thought of throat swelling to the point of death is a risk they're worth taking. You may not suffer from insomnia, but in this life, you will suffer. We have people in the congregation that deal with chronic headaches, people who break limbs, people who go to the hospital, take medications, get surgery, get chemo, things of that sort. You will go through suffering. It's a part of this life. Today we're going to look at a man who is suffering tremendously, suffering from birth. And it is a suffering that really has no hope in it. If you would please turn to John chapter 9. You may be wondering why we are covering this topic. Um, usually for the anniversary, I kind of pick a special scripture and we talk about it. But the last two weeks, we, we, did, uh, we did Palm Sunday and we did Easter. And I just kind of miss going through the sermon series in John. So I decided, let's go back to John and look at it and trust that God has something important to tell us today. John 9, it's on page 895 in the Red Bible, page 1315 in the Children's Bible. John 9, verse 1 through 12. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. 
As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the topic of suffering, a a difficult subject, we pray that the hope of a loving God would flood our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here's the question. If God is good and he is in control over all things, why do people suffer? If God is good and he is in control of all things, even suffering, why do people suffer? This is one of the biggest objections to the faith. It's a question that I hope all of you have asked because it is an honest question and it is a good question. Either in the midst of your own suffering or seeing suffering on TV, our hearts ask the question, if God is good and he is in control of all things, then why is there suffering? Well, let me start by confessing to you that this is an extraordinarily difficult topic. It is one with no pat answers, no easy answers. We can't reduce it to a formula. You know, it, I, I went to seminary. I've, I've been preaching, teaching for three years now. I probably know the Bible better than almost all of you, except for Ron Young. And yet, I know that I know maybe a 1% of 1% of 1% of all the knowledge and wisdom of God. And so our knowledge is so small and so finite. So to think that we can, we can study the topic of suffering and say, yes, now I understand it. Now I'm satisfied. It's silly to think that we'll get there because God is so much wiser than us. He knows so much more. But with this topic of suffering, God does not leave us without answers. He tells us through his word the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So today we're going to ask three questions in relation to suffering. One, what are the causes of suffering? Two, what are the purposes of suffering? And three, what are the responses to suffering? So what are the causes, the purpose? and the responses 
to suffering. First, the causes of suffering. Notice here in verse 2, what did the disciples say? The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're saying, whose fault is it? Is it the boy's fault or the parents' fault that he is suffering? He give, they give Jesus these two possibilities. And it's interesting because I think these are the two ways that we lean even, to, even today when we deal with suffering. We say it's his fault or it's someone else's fault. And so let me just walk through that because I think those are two ways that we look at suffering today. First is the self-inflected suffering. The disciples ask, was this blindness due to his sin? It's to generalize. This is the view of many conservatives today in America. If someone is poor, if someone is unemployed, if someone is overweight, if someone is sick, well, it's their fault, right? They're lazy, they're undisciplined. In other words, suffering is self-induced. This is what Job's friends thought. They too were conservatives. They saw Job suffering. If you're familiar with the story, Job lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost virtually everything but his life. And their conclusion was, Job, you are suffering because you are a big sinner. That's why you're suffering. And yet, at the end of the book, God rebukes the friends and restores Job. And so it is dangerous And probably wrong at times to say, well, if you're sick, it's because you sinned. If you're wounded, it's because you sinned. There's the whole book. Now, on the other side, sorry, the other side of that coin is that sin does sometimes indeed lead to sickness and pain and suffering. The whole book of Proverbs is actually full of saying, saying, if you do this, there are principles, if you do this, you will probably suffer in this way. Wait. So, for example, Proverbs 19.15 says, An idle person, someone that is slothful, that is lazy, will suffer hunger. If you do this, you will suffer. And so, sin does indeed have consequences. Even in the New Testament, when we're reading of the Lord's Supper, we read in 1 Corinthians 11.29, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment, On himself. It is self inflicted. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. A few years ago, I went to the funeral of a person that I do not know well. And at the funeral and talking to some of his friends after the funeral, I found out some really interesting things about this man. I found out that. He, his wife would take the kids to church every Sunday. He would come to work that he would, he would mock God. He would belittle God. He would make fun of God. I also found out that just, I think it was two days before he passed, that he had a clean bill of health given to him from his physician. And then I also found out that the day before he died, for the first time in years, he took communion. And so this passage from 1 Corinthians 11 jumps out to me and says, could God really be that holy still? Does God still punish people for their sin? 
Could they still self-inflict themselves? And the answer is yes. Was this man taken out by God because he took communion in an unworthy manner? I don't know. But the point is, if we are going through suffering, it is appropriate for us to ask, is there sin in my life that I have not repented of, that I need to repent of? Because God could be using that to call you back to himself. And so one way we look at sin is that sin is self-inflicted. I'm sorry, that suffering is self-inflicted. We also see that suffering is others-inflicted. And so if the first view is a more conservative view, generally, the second view is a more liberal view, generally. They say, was this man born blind due to his parents? In other words, this boy, is he a victim of their sin? You can see this in society today. If people are suffering, they can sometimes go directly to the viewpoint of, I am a victim. I need to blame it on my parents or on my boss or on the man, whoever that man might be. And so we can jump to that conclusion quickly. And again, suffering may be an injustice. Suffering may be due to other people's sins. You look in the Bible and you see that that Israel is exiled because the fathers worshipped idols. And although God had come to them and called them to repentance and was patient with them, they continued to pursue after other gods. And so Assyria and Babylon came on and conquered and drove the Israelites out of the promised land where they suffered for the sins of their fathers. Even today, the number one cause of blindness in the world is gonorrhea. It is a sin committed by parents. Typically, it is due to a promiscuous lifestyle. And the children suffer because of the sin of another. And so, I'm not giving you a lot of answers. What about this blind man? What was the cause of his suffering? Was it self-inflicted or was it others-inflicted? These are the two options they give to Jesus. And do you see Jesus' answer to this? Look with me, verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parent, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, what Jesus, Jesus is not discounting the fact that sometimes particular sin can lead to particular suffering. He's not discounting the fact that sometimes the sin of other people can lead to our suffering. But what he is challenging is the thought of the day that if you are sick, it can always be traced back to a specific sin. I mean, could you imagine going to the synagogue with a broken leg? Could you imagine how people would look at you and say, wow, what did you do, you know? Or someone got struck by lightning. We kind of use that phrase today. And so Jesus is challenging this view that suffering is due to a specific sin. It might be, but most of the time it is just due to sin in general. To our first parents, Adam and Eve, they lived in a world that was perfect without suffering. And yet they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And through their sin, they introduced into the world suffering, pain, and death. And so, why is the blind man suffering? Jesus actually never gives us the answer. Jesus is far more concerned to tell us the purpose of the man's suffering. And so that's what we're going to look at. What is the purpose of 
his suffering. John 9, 3 again. Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents. Now listen close. He gives a purpose. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. God is in control of all things, even suffering, even death, which means that God ordains even suffering. He's not the author of evil, but he ordains all things. And this is troubling if our highest good in life is to be healthy. You know, if you look at your prayer life and you say, okay, in my prayer life, I just basically pray that Aunt Betty's toe will heal and that the, the Johnsons will have a safe trip to Madison, right? If your prayer life is done, those are good prayer requests. But if, you're, if your prayer life is dominated by just an external health, comfort, and safety, then a God who would ordain suffering can make no sense at all. But you see what Jesus is teaching us, that there is actually something more important in life than your comfort. There is something more important in life than your health. This is what he's teaching us here. And you know what? We actually know this. We know that there is something more important in life. In this passage, verse 3 again, Jesus says that the works of God might be displayed, which is outgoing, right? A display case shows off to other people in him, which is internal. And so to summarize, Jesus says that God is using suffering to do a more important work in us and through us. God uses suffering to do his work in us. If you are a child of God, God ordains suffering for good. Always. It is hard to believe, but he does. The writer of Hebrews illustrates this very helpfully for us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. You can follow along on the screen. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them. And then hear this. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's true. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As a parent, I ordain suffering on my children all the time. <laughs> and, and I mean, don't worry, we, we change up the methods and so we provide a variety, but we ordain suffering all the time because we love our children. So it starts with a stern warning, right? Son, what are you doing? Right? And then, and then it can progress depending on the offense. 
Okay, let's go to timeout. Come on, let's go. Three minutes of suffering in the corner. Penalty box, right? There you go. If, if the offense is greater, there's a spanking and timeout. Again, they're suffering. And, and if it's really bad, well, then they just don't get candy after supper. And that's just horrible, right? We cause suffering to our children because we love them. Because we are saying there is something more important in your life than your own comfort, than your own pleasure. Your character is more important than those things. And so we are going to discipline you because we love you and we want the best for you. God always ordains suffering for his children 100% of the time out of love. Romans tells us that God works all things, not some, but all things for the good of those who love him. But it is hard, as Hebrews tells us, that when he is disciplining us, it seems unpleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you come along someone who has gone through a tremendous time of suffering, and you ask them and you say, hey, would you like to go through that suffering again? They would say, there is no way I want to do that again. But if you, ask, if you could go back, if you could reverse the clock and you could prevent yourself from going through that time of suffering, would you do it? Almost unanimously, people would say no. They would say, God did too much in my life. He did too much in my heart at that time. It is more precious than the suffering that I went through. I had the privilege to go to Europe when I was in junior high, and I got to see these great sculptures made of marble. And the craftsman, the artist, would slowly take a hammer and a chisel and chisel away the marble until there was this beautiful human being. God chisels away at us through suffering to conform us into the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. And so one of the purposes of suffering is so that God can work in us. We also see that God ordains suffering to do his work through us. Verse 3, Jesus answered, but that the works of God might be displayed outward in him. It's almost as if this blind man became a display case for God, a walking advertisement. And that is indeed what he was. Jesus claims in verse 5 to be the light of the world. And then he heals the blind man. The blind man goes out. The neighbors say, who is this guy? Are you the one who was blind who can now see? And he says, yes, I am. God was showing his glory through this man's suffering. He was showing something deeper than physical health. Jesus was showing that though our hearts are blind from birth, Jesus can make them see. Jesus can make us see God. God ordained this man's suffering to display God's work through him to a watching world. In 1873, there was a young Belgian missionary who traveled to Hawaii to minister to the leper colonies. I don't think they're there anymore, but went to, went to, went to minister to leper colonies in Hawaii. And, uh, and he was there for 12 long years. And it was a, well, what we would say a failed ministry. And he was, after 12 years, he decided to go back home to Belgium. And as he stood on the pier, getting ready to load the boat to go back home, he noticed 
on his hands that there were white patches, which meant only one thing, that he had contracted leprosy. Because of that, he goes back into the town. And the people gather around him. And they get to hear the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church. And so what we are learning is there is something more important than life than physical health and physical comfort. There is a kingdom of God that is going forth that is more precious than an easy life. We read in Acts, the apostles go out and they're preaching about Christ and the, the, the religious leaders bring them in. And it says that they beat them and charge them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Suffering for Christ is a great privilege. So what are the causes of suffering? Sin in general, sometimes sin in specific. What are the purposes of suffering? For God to do his important work in us and through us. Finally, what is our response to suffering? How should we respond to a world of suffering? One might think, well, since God ordains all things, we should just let it go. But that is not the words of our Savior. Look in verse 4. We must work. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I think Jesus is talking about his crucifixion through Pentecost. But he's saying night is coming. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus says we must do the works of God. Now, what are the works of God? Well, we can tell by looking at Jesus in this passage. As you see, the disciples see this man merely as a blind beggar. That is his identity for them. And they use him for theological purposes to say, tell us about how God views suffering. How does this work out? That is not how Jesus views him. You know, if Jesus had any, if anyone had excuses not to stop for this man, it was Jesus. He had a gospel to proclaim to thousands of people. He had to prepare his disciples before he died. And yet Jesus stopped to love this man, to heal this man, to help reverse the effects of the fall. Jesus wasn't merely interested in talking or teaching. No, Jesus was interested in doing in doing the works of God. And so if you're here today, we are posed with this heart-wrenching question. Are you doing the work of God? Not just going to Bible study, learning, or teaching, or accumulating information, but are you doing the work of God? Are you actively helping people who are suffering? The women's uh, leadership ministry met Saturday morning, and I got, or yesterday morning, I got a phone call yesterday. And they said, There's this family that's going through a lot of suffering. Not, uh, they're not part of Jacob's well, um, but they're going through a lot of suffering, and we really want to love them and care for them and help them. I, 
That's great. These are women who believe in all their heart that God is sovereign over all things, but know that we are called to do the work of God to bring his redemption in this world. And so we are called to work, to eliminate suffering and pain in the lives of those around us, to stop and to care for their needs. This is the work of God. This is the work of Christ. Christ stopped for this blind man, but Christ also stops for you. Jesus did not remain in heaven, but he came down to earth. He came when we were suffering, when we were helpless, when we were blind, and he stopped and he came. And at the cross, he took on our suffering. He took on your suffering. He took on your sin, and he paid it in full so that we could look forward to a day where there will be no more suffering for all eternity. And that leads us to the last part, the last response we are to have to suffering, and that is to believe. Look in verse 6. Having said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Side comment, yuck, all right? And Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man could have been offended. He could have wiped it off and, and tried to punch Jesus. But he didn't. He responded by faith. So, so he went and washed and came back seen. Some of you are here today and you are going through tremendous, unspeakable suffering. Suffering that, quite honestly, I cannot relate to. Suffering that I have never gone through. And unless Jesus miraculously heals your body in this life, which he might, you will suffer until you die. But for those who trust in Christ, who believe that Christ bore the penalty for our sin, the suffering for our sin, we have this great hope that we have a heaven to look forward to, a glorious place where there will be no more suffering and no more pain. And so we are called to believe in Jesus Christ and to believe in his kingdom that is to come. Let me end with this. If you have been watching March Madness, you may now know who Kevin Ware is. He is a Louisville player and uh, and. Last weekend, I believe it was, he went to block a shot. He came down awkwardly, and he snapped his leg. I won't give more detail than that. But the players around uh, fell on the ground crying. Uh, some players on the bench threw up because it was such a horrible-looking injury. Kevin underwent surgery, and he has a long road ahead of him, a long road of suffering, it will be a few months before he can ever, before he can put any pressure on his leg, and then he will have at least six months of rehab, suffering, painful rehab. But the hope that he has in the midst of that suffering is that he will get to return to the game that he loves pain free. This is what the apostle reminds us. This is the hope that we have greater even than what Kevin has. He says it in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 
So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, and we know it's true. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is prepared for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is the Apostle Paul telling us? He is saying no matter how horrible your suffering is, no matter how unspeakable it is, it's not even worthy to be compared. To be compared to the glory of heaven. No matter how horrible your suffering is now, when you will get to heaven, you will say, that was only a light momentary affliction. For all who believe, this is the hope we have in Christ. Though we may suffer here, we are bound for a promised land where there will be no more suffering and no more pain. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the hope that Christ brings, that he heals us from the inside out, God, and that there will be a day where there will be no more suffering or pain. We rejoice for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.